Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 360 of Sustainable Minimalists. What on earth do we do on this show? Well, this is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're talking cooking and specifically cooking from scratch, but in a broader sense, we're giving homemaking back some of its much-deserved glory. Before we do any of that, we need to back up. We need to back way up. Let's talk about the women's liberation movement for a hot minute. From the late 1800s to about 1920, the women who worked were primarily poor, uneducated, and single. From the 1930s to the 1970s, married women started entering the workforce in significant numbers. By 1970, 50% of single women and 40% of married women were working. Now, maybe you're wondering why. What changed? Well, there are many reasons. One, the big one, is the rise of birth control. Birth control meant that women, for the first time ever, had some sort of say over when they started a family and how big or how small that family would be. Another reason is increased education. And a third reason, of course, is the availability of part-time employment. So women could theoretically have it all by working a bit and homemaking a bit. From 1970 on, there has been a real shift in the way women tend to view work. Women from 1970 on started prioritizing their education, getting degrees, getting advanced degrees. They started looking at work not as a temporary or part-time thing, but they started thinking about work in terms of careers over decades, right? We're not going to just blip in and blip out. We're going to stay for the duration of our career. So we're liberated, or are we? Are we really liberated? Many homes in 2023 America, we don't just enjoy, but our lifestyles demand two incomes. And unfortunately, as of 2012, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, also known as the OECD, by the way, they ranked the United States 33rd out of 36 countries with regard to how well or not so well we invest in early childhood care and education relative to income. The United States is also the only developed country out of the 36 without a national paid leave program. There's also the sad fact in which, in many homes in which a woman is married to a man, the woman is still the one who's carrying the brunt of the household labor. I often personally feel as though I have two very distinct jobs. There's this one in which I work full-time producing this podcast, and the other one in which I raise my children and manage my home. I'm very often doing these two full-time jobs simultaneously, and so for me, this means I'm doing all the things, and the jury is still out on whether I'm doing any of them all that well. (laughs) Jury's still out. (laughs) Stay tuned. But homemaking, the term homemaking tends to have a dirty connotation, doesn't it? I do not agree with the connotation whatsoever, but there is this assumption that if you're a homemaker, you are, quote, just a homemaker. And so on today's show, I am speaking with podcaster Laura Bass. She is the host of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast, and she is also a proud homemaker, homesteader, and homeschooler. 
On today's show, Lisa is certainly not suggesting, okay, disclaimer time, she is not suggesting that we exit the workforce in droves. But she does believe that there is beauty to be found in homemaking. Lisa, so excited to talk to you today. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I would love for you to tell us how you got here. How did you get to having a successful blog and a successful podcast and homesteading and homemaking and homeschooling? How did we get here? Tell me all of it. I am 15 years into marriage. Um, A lot of times I find people compare where they are right now to something that somebody has been working on for a long time. So this started when we first got married. I became very interested in cooking from scratch. I started reading books on healthy cooking and using ingredients and not just buying anything prepackaged. I refined my cooking skills. I learned how to do things without always following a recipe and just how to do basic skills in the kitchen. So from there, I learned how to add more things like how to ferment, how to do sourdough. And then I started gardening. And then I started dreaming about a homestead. And we were having kids through all of this, of course. Then after living in our our other house for 10 years, which was a quarter acre in town, that's where I started my blog and had a garden and chickens. So after that, living there for a decade, four years ago, we moved here, which is a seven acre homestead. And we've been able to add a dairy cow. And I guess my point is to say it's all been very, very gradual. Same with the business. I started it with the blog and then I added on Instagram and then I added on YouTube and I added on podcasting. So this has been, you know, just like a steady (laughs) adding on of things. And I bring on help as I go. You wear an awful lot of hats, Lisa. And for somebody like me, it sounds like you are superwoman. But I love how you say there that, you know, it's been it's been gradual. And on this show, we use the word incremental. Incrementalism is the way to make any lasting changes to our lifestyle. Let's talk about homemaking for a minute. And I want to I want to talk about this with you because I heard a recent episode you had on your podcast and it spoke to me. The word homemaker, like I don't know if there are all that many people in the world today who are like proud homemakers. And I think that might be because there is some societal messaging around homemaking. What is homemaking to you and why should we just be so darn proud of ourselves and thrilled about all the acts that go into creating homes for our families? There are a wide range of skills that you develop if you embrace homemaking. You have the chance to try your hand at decorating, try your hand at sewing curtains from thrift shop sheets and making it beautiful, figuring out how to add pleats to those curtains, making a room come alive with the decor. You have the opportunity to grow food, to read to children, to teach things, to keep things clean, to there's just so many things that you get the chance to do that for a creative person, homemaking is a dream job. I mean, you can, you can make these designs in your bread that when you pull it out of the oven, you're just like, yay, like, look at what I've created. So there's just such a wide range of skills that you get to dive into and refine. And I've been a homemaker for 15 years now, the entire time. So I've never had a regular job. 
But the whole time I've never been bored. There's stuff to sew, there's stuff to bake, there's new skills to learn. When I've mastered something, I can I can learn cheese making. I can I can I haven't made soap yet. My sister, she makes tons of soap. That's like her thing. I still haven't done that. There's just so many things I've learned and there's so much more that I think I could be a homemaker for the rest of my life and I'll I'll never run out of new things to learn. I think that you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, well, where did this stigma attached to homemaking come from? Why is it here? I don't think it was around. I mean, I wasn't around, but I don't think the stigma was around in the 60s, perhaps the 50s. So where did it come from? And I'm wondering just out loud, I don't if you have an answer, a definitive answer, let me know. But I'm wondering if it just comes from the fact that we tend to, in the Western world, put a value on our work, a monetary value on our work. And so if we're not making any money, it must not be valuable work. I don't remember the exact history, but there is a whole history. You could read articles on it about being a mother, being a homemaker, and the value society associated with that. But maybe it's whenever they started selling us on convenience things. That was when they were selling you on why waste your time making these biscuits from scratch. I think it really was marketing to get women to think, okay, this is all a big waste of my time. And so this will help you with that problem. Like I totally see a shift now though. People are like, well, that was boring. Like that made homemaking terrible because if everything is done so conveniently, well, then what are you going to (laughs) do? What are you going to learn? That's such a good point. And I think we're going on in the opposite direction now, or at least a subset of us are. You definitely, me and our listeners, we're bucking against the convenience factor because what fun <laughs> is it when we subscribe to the convenience factor? We're not learning any new important life skills. I think that's what you're saying there. You mentioned there the refining your cooking skills, getting the skills that we need in the kitchen so that we can actually cook. What did that refining of your cooking skills even look like in real life? How did you do that? I think just trying stuff. Um, when I first got married, I don't, I'm, I'm sure obviously Google existed, but we didn't even have internet and we didn't have smartphones. And so I had one of those, like, you know, the big binder cookbooks. What was it? Better, better. It was either Betty Crocker or it was Taste of Home or I don't remember. The main one that like everybody had whenever you needed cookbooks and I used it, you rely heavily on those things in the beginning when you're first learning how to cook and you're trying to figure out what spices go with what. And after a while, you do just know how to cook. You know if it needs to be cooked fast, if it needs to be cooked slow, if if it's better on the stove, if it's better in the oven at a low temperature. Those are things that we're going to be talking about, like the convenience of, you know, and, and and cooking and why it's why you would want to cook from scratch. Those are the things that really make it easier. And so I guess my advice is to just start. Yeah. There's no substitute to being in the trenches and teaching yourself, learning by doing. It's um, not easy, but what you're teaching yourself is really invaluable. I would say that the rise of convenience foods the pre-made foods at the supermarket, the takeout that's so available at all the restaurants, the meal kits, like these are all capitalizing on the convenience factor, but they're also 
inadvertently hurting us, I would argue, in the fact that they're taking us further away from the act of cooking our own food, from the act of being able to cook a meal. <laughs> and so that's me on my soapbox, and I'm going to hop off. I'm going to hop back on it a little bit, Lisa. I'm going <laughs> to be honest. But you describe yourself on your website as a total health nut, and that is a direct quote. Where does cooking from scratch fit into into that? Whenever you cook from scratch, you control all the ingredients. So when people think of starting to eat healthy, well, some people, I think a lot of people are are definitely pushing back on all of this and think, okay, we're going to cook from scratch now. But sometimes people think, okay, we'll go to the store and we'll buy the packaged food that says organic, gluten-free, whatever. I don't, whatever it is that is on the package. And that's really expensive to get a, an item that has quality ingredients, quality ingredients, but already made for you is extremely expensive. We actually just went on vacation, our whole family and trying to source things like we went and we got some bread from a farmer's market and we got some salsa and it was all delicious. It was all good. But the amount of money it costs to eat healthy when you're not making it yourself is just insane. You can't actually afford it. Whereas whenever you buy very basic ingredients, maybe you figure out how to source them in bulk and you learn how to turn those into something really delicious, it's cheaper to cook healthy and from scratch than it even is to eat conventionally. And so I think it's practical. It gives you a lot of control. And also, I think there's a lot to be said for what it teaches you. It just makes it all more fun and exciting whenever you are learning all these things. Hmm. Well, I feel like our conversation would be remiss if I didn't mention the recent research into the health effects associated with ultra-processed foods, especially. They are in the news in a big way. Ultra-processed foods, they've been heated and pressed and enhanced by those additives to make them taste better and last longer. They've been linked to, obviously, obesity, but also high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, dementia, early death. They also have particular impacts on our children. You know, I think about my daughters. Maybe you think about your children. They eat a lot of stuff. Like they take in a lot of calories, but they might not be taking in the essential vitamins and minerals and nutrients that they need to optimally develop. Healthy eating is well known to reduce ADHD symptoms and diagnosed children. That's one of the top things that a healthcare provider will suggest if your child has ADHD. And then, of course, too, like if your child's not getting enough complex carbs or omega-3 fatty acids or iron, they can experience mood swings. They can be cranky because of their diet. They can be tired. They can be depressed. And so what we eat really does matter. And I don't think that the convenience food market is mentioning that. And so I really just had to jump back on the soapbox for a minute and mention that. <laughs> but like, I know, you know, you are incredibly busy. You have almost eight children. You live on a farm. You have a successful blog and podcast. And those are only the hats that I know about. And so like, how do you find time? And not even just the time, but also the motivation to cook? Where where does all that come from? The time and the motivation? 
I really think it goes back to once you figure out how to cook from scratch and you have a rhythm of the things that you buy that you stock in your freezer, your pantry, your fridge, it's actually easier. I don't spend that much time. Yesterday afternoon, I mixed up some dough in my mixer for a sourdough French bread. That took, because I already know exactly how to do it. Now, when you first start, you got to figure out how to do your starter and figure out how to feed it. And then you got to figure out which recipe you're going to use and which one works best for you and your family. All of that. Once that's passed, then literally five minutes, I can throw this stuff in my mixer, get the dough hook going, go about my day. It needs for 10 minutes, whatever. I know exactly what I'm looking for. If the bread stretches in a certain way, it's done. I throw it in a bowl. Before bed last night, I shaped it, threw it in the fridge. Okay. So we're at probably 10 minutes now. But we're talking like definitely no more than 30 minutes of hands-on time, probably less if I really added it up. And then at lunch, I had this very delicious looking spread. We had salad, we had sauerkraut that I fermented like four months ago. I made a huge batch of sauerkraut. We had um, fried potatoes, we had French bread. I mean, just whenever you know what you're doing and you don't have to look up recipes, figure all this stuff out. It's very second nature. It really is as easy as some of the things I see people making that are convenience foods. I think it just comes down to knowing what you're doing so that there isn't time in the thinking part. That's what usually gets us. Hmm. Well, I want to talk to you about that more, the time and the stress that goes into the thinking part. I really want to like break that down with you. We're going to do that after a quick word from our sponsors. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. 
Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coastofmaine.com. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Bass. She is the host of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. She is also a homeschooler, homemaker, homesteader extraordinaire. Lisa, before the break, you were talking about how important it is to get your mind right, essentially, because when you're on board cognitively, when you know what you're serving, when you're advanced planning, you can execute the job, the big job of feeding yourself and perhaps your family as well, with a little less overwhelm. And so I would, I want to talk about that because Come Saturday in my home, it's stressful. Deciding what I'm going to cook for the following week, making the grocery list with all the ingredients I need to make the dinners and lunches for the following week, then meal prepping so that I'm not standing in the kitchen for two hours on a random Tuesday night cooking this wholesome meal for my family. What tips and tricks and thoughts and hacks do you have for me and for listeners like me who are just so overwhelmed and so susceptible to the convenience food market? I think that I do things a little bit differently when it comes to meal planning. It's more about having these processes in place and having my stock of certain things always available And then being able to pull from them without having a plan on exactly what that is. So I'm not getting like a plan together where I'm like, okay, Monday, we're going to have chicken enchiladas with green verde, whatever sauce and Mexican rice with the, I don't know, like this very specific meal plan. I never have that. What I do have is meat thawed out in the fridge, probably some bread dough of some kind going. and then a bunch of veggies in my freezer, in my fridge, so that I can look in and just think, hmm, okay, well, because I have, I threw this meat into my pan, and it's been sitting in the fridge for a few days now, and it's defrosted, I can do, you know, whatever, like do those pork sliders or whatever. I can uh, put that in this morning, let it just kind of slow cook. And oh, look, I have some green beans in the freezer, I could just put a little bit of water in the bottom of a pan and steam those, add some butter and salt. I have uh, potatoes or maybe some sweet potatoes I could throw into the oven at the same time as the pork, allow those to bake. So that way I could have, you know, barbecue pork with sweet baked sweet potatoes and butter. I always just have, like, I know what I'm buying. I have a certain list of things that I always have in my fridge and freezer and I don't have any clue that when I woke up this morning, I had no clue what I was making for lunch or dinner, but I had options that I could throw in. And I think that takes out some of the stress because we do these very elaborate meal plans. We're like, we're going to have Indian curry with homemade naan. And therefore I need to start that naan if I'm going to be making sourdough naan on Sunday night so that I can have it on Tuesday. And I like stuff like that. Like I like doing that too, because it's really good. And it's fun to be like, Ooh, you know, like Indian curry, that's it's delicious. But more often than not, I just always have a lot of options, even if I don't know what I'm going to do. And if my sourdough starter is fed, I just start mixing stuff up. Like tonight, 
or maybe this afternoon when I go back in the house, I'll get some bread going. That way tomorrow with whatever I make, maybe we'll have raisin bread, maybe we'll have bagels, maybe we'll have, I don't even know, sourdough naan. So as long as it's just going, I always have stuff just going all the time. It doesn't matter if it all goes together perfectly. If you're not making naan with Indian curry, but you're making it with roast and 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 some glazed carrots, it's okay. You just have it stocked and ready to just make whatever. Mm. Okay. So as you're talking, Lisa, I'm realizing that there's a different way to think about our conversation. And that is the novice, intermediate, advanced home chef way of thinking about it. So like the novices listening, they are, you're clearly an advanced (laughs) home chef. Like you are heads and shoulders above me. I'd consider myself an intermediate. And the novices don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) With the, um, this, yeah, with the sourdough, with the et cetera. But so the point here, the umbrella to our conversation is that you have put in the time to literally advance your knowledge. And when you have put in that upfront work, that upfront time to advance your knowledge, the task loses its stress and overwhelm. And then when you are an advanced home chef, you don't even need the elaborate meal plans because you have all the knowledge you need. You don't need to be doing extra work. You've already cut out the fat, so to speak. I love a good pun. So there's one, right? Like you, it's all, it's all just second nature to you. But um, just one quick question here, Lisa, a lot of my listeners are reducing their meat intake for environmental reasons. So they're vegetarian or they're going vegan, or at the very least, they're getting away from the meat, starch, vegetable plate. Would you say that the rules still apply for the vegetarians and the vegans listening? I don't know how I would do that, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, I guess you could. It probably does. That's another thing that probably if you've been cooking that way for five plus years, you would know exactly. You'd have a handful of things that you could easily throw together based on that. So it's the same strategy of you have five to 10 things that you can throw together no matter what. You always have all the stuff on hand to do it. You stock your your pantry or your fridge or whatever with those things. And you can quickly throw together like 10 meals. And they don't have to be this like fancy thought out thing. It's just always on, on hand. Yeah, it'd be the same, similar thing. Yeah, I mean... Cooking is cooking, learning how ingredients go together, learning to taste your food for the right ratio of spice to to food, to broth, to whatever it is. Like those are skills that are transferable no matter what your diet is. And so what I love about our conversation, Lisa, is that you're saying essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're saying that there are no shortcuts to learning this vital life skill of cooking. It is a vital life skill because if we're not cooking, then we have only one option. And that is the foods of convenience that are potentially shortening our lives and potentially contributing to negative health outcomes for ourselves and maybe our families. And so again, like it's convenient in the short term, but is it the right choice? These convenience options long-term. I will say for myself personally, 
I, as an intermediate home chef, like I know I'm intermediate. I'm, I'm fine with it. I know it. I feel good about being intermediate because I used to be a novice and life is really hard. I feel good. Um, but for me, it's supremely important to learn something when I'm cooking. I get so much less enjoyment out of the act of cooking for my family when I'm cooking the same things all the time, personally. I actually like trying new recipes. I'm not trying five new recipes a week because that, holy moly, is a recipe for disaster. Another pun. See, I'm on it. I'm on the puns. (laughs) But like once a week, once in a while, trying a new recipe, maybe it's a hit. Maybe it's a disaster. But at least I tried something new and I definitely learned something from trying a new recipe. So for people who, you know... We're bringing this conversation back around to the start where we're talking about homemaking as a way of learning an infinitesimal amount of skills. You can do that in the kitchen by just trying new recipes, trying recipes that are like are a little out of your comfort zone. I will say too for me, and I'd love your thoughts on this, the shifting of the mindset has been um, the number one biggest change for me. So If it was just me, I would probably not cook from scratch, right? Like I'd probably be a convenience eater, to be completely honest. But I have a family. And while I wouldn't consider myself a lover of cooking, like I don't love cooking. But what I do love is I love that I have the opportunity every single day to provide my family with a healthy and nourishing meal. That to me is worth the effort time stress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have the opportunity to put in front of of them a healthy and nourishing meal. And once I thought of it not as a, ugh, I have to do this yet again, and I have to do this every night until my kids turn 18, to instead think of it as I have this gift and this opportunity. That mindset shift, it sounds kind of pie in the sky and I know it, but that has really changed the task for me. Yeah. No, I happen to be one of the people that really does like cooking. And so a lot of the stuff, it's like, well, yeah, easy for you to say, like, you, this has been fun for you the whole time. And it truly has. <laughs> but I have noticed that with other things for sure that I don't like, it doesn't, it doesn't do us any good to wallow in how much we dislike something. And you can reframe it so that you're looking at it differently. And I think that will make you think about it differently. And also some research to back up why you're doing it is is helpful. So you were talking about all of the things that are in the convenience foods. And so in the beginning when it was hard for me because I didn't know what I was doing, I was just strictly motivated by wanting to know what was in the food. And so that was enough to keep me going then. And now it's just fun. Now I I like it because I've gotten so much better that I can do a lot and I can I can do things that are more advanced that when I'm done with it, it's like, look at these croissants I made, you know, it's it's fun. But in the beginning, having the research behind it and thinking about it differently, very helpful. Hmm. Well, one more quick question before we go, Lisa. I have to ask it because I know if I don't ask it, listeners are going to ask me, why didn't you ask it? And that has to do with our picky eater kids. I know you have 7.5 kids. <laughs> Are any of them picky eaters and what thoughts, tips, tricks, hacks do you have 
for those of us listening with kids who are picky eaters? I do have a picky eater. (laughs) I will say that mostly they outgrow it. So they go through different phases. Like every single kid, at least in my experience, this could definitely be different for other people. All of mine were picky at age three. By about age 10, which I only have three that are over that, none of them are picky anymore. So being patient with, okay, this could just be sort of a phase But then also, I don't make anything special. So like today at lunch, my picky kid, I put on everybody's plate the the everything, the potatoes, the sauerkraut, the bread, the chicken. The pickier kids probably just ate the chicken and the bread and the potatoes and maybe not the sauerkraut and definitely not the arugula salad. But that's okay. I don't worry about that. Um, Another thing would be what we call the sauce of hunger. (laughs) So... If kids are getting a lot of snacks, they're just not going to eat your from scratch meal because they're not hungry enough. They they just have to be really hungry. I have certain kids that if they're not really hungry, they just, eh, I, I don't like this that much. I'm just not going to eat. And so if they're really hungry, they'll eat it. But also I just, I, I used to get more worried about this before I saw like, oh, this is just a phase and they can always find something to eat. Even if they're just eating chicken and bread in a few years, they won't. I think most adults eat and try stuff. So I guess just don't worry about it that much and don't. I definitely would never bring like chicken nuggets to Thanksgiving for my child. No way. (laughs) Like you're going to find something on this table that you like, right? Yeah. I mean, who wants to cook multiple meals? No, no, absolutely not. No, you can find something. I have a wide variety of food here. Something's good enough for you. Right. Tell us where we can find more of all your amazing goodness. If you like podcasts, I'm the host of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. You can find it anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And then for recipes, I have them over on farmhouseonboon.com. And then YouTube, uh, Farmhouse on Boone. I have a lot of lifestyle content, but then I also have a lot of tutorials that I can actually walk you through how to make stuff. So much stuff. I love all of it. And I want to thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on the show. You have convinced me to not order pizza tonight. So thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 360. We do have an eco tip today, and it comes from Marie. Marie had some thoughts that piggybacked off of my TerraCycle episode that was out two weeks ago. If you have any questions about TerraCycle, definitely go back and listen to that episode. Marie wanted me to mention that some of the free programs, the sponsored waste programs that TerraCycle offers, they take more than just their brand. So the Rubbermaid program, for example, takes all used plastic containers, not just Rubbermaid brand. Or the GoGo Squeeze brand takes more of those plastic squeeze pouches than just their brand. So just know that. And also, Marie wanted me to mention that once you start recycling with TerraCycle, the website keeps track of how much you recycle in pounds, which is pretty cool and also quite motivating to see. Also, of course, you can collect points as you recycle. The points equate to money that you can give to charities. They have a charity list, and you can direct where you want your points, aka your 
money to go. So another great fact that I neglected to mention in the TerraCycle episode. Thank you so much, Marie. On Thursday, we are discussing so many things. We're talking about the clothing mountain in Ghana. (laughs) We're talking about our recycling in East Asia. We are talking about where our stuff that we no longer want, where it actually goes. I will see you on Thursday for that. Reach out if you need me and take care.